Well, welcome everybody to Grace this weekend and welcome everybody who's watching online and at the Montrose building and our live sites. Thanks for uh, being with us as well. Uh, we're in a series right now we call Love Liable and uh, the series is a conversation around a commandment that Jesus gave us in John 15. <clears throat> he said this, he said, my camp command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. And we started looking at this command at Easter. And at Easter, we learned that the cross and everything around it, Jesus says, is the full expression of his love. So Jesus would say, if you want to know what love is, it's not your definition, it's not romance, it's not even what we would call friendship. Love looks like the cross and kind of the full extent of the cross, the suffering of Christ, the passion of Christ, that all the mindset leading up to the cross, the resurrection. And he would say, if you want a definition of love and you want to see love in living color, so to say, you would look at everything surrounding Easter, everything surrounding the cross, that's the full extent of it. So in that context, he would say, I want you to love each other as I've loved you. Well, how have you loved us? Well, I've loved you like the cross. It's sacrificial, it's a predetermined yes, it's brutal, it's violent, it's, it's isolating, it's all in, it's, it's everything. I laid down my life for you, and it's the greatest expression of love that there can be. So we started digging at that a little bit and saying, okay, if that's the calling and that's what God would want from us, how do you even start to go there with it? So we went to Philippians chapter 2, which is also talking about Jesus giving his life. And the Apostle Paul says this in Philippians chapter 2. He says, <clears throat> he says, your minds in your relationships with each other have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So we started to learn that Jesus, it, him giving his life wasn't an, uh, an impulse. It wasn't something that he just kind of did spur of the moment. It was this pre-thought thing from before the beginning of time. He had decided that he was going to do this because he had the mindset to do it. And as we dug into that passage, we found out that his mindset was the mindset of a servant and the mindset of humility. He decided to operate that way. So if I'm going to love as I've been loved, it's a matter of kind of mindset, not feeling or emotion, but I, it's a paradigm, it's a grid, it's a filter, it's a mindset of which I, I approach the relationships around me. And then last week when we said in that mindset that if I'm going to serve you and act in humility towards you, willingly laying aside my rights towards you, then one of the things I'm going to have to be willing to do in relationships is forgive. That what human beings do the best and most consistently is we sin against each other. We're really good at that. So if I'm a human being, I've been sinned against. In order to love you, I'm going to have to be willing to forgive you. I can't harbor bitterness, anger, slander, mauling, uh, uh, malice. I can't do that and love you simultaneously. I have to be willing to release that, to exchange it for compassion, tenderness, and mercy <clears throat> in order to do that. So I have to be willing to forgive as I've been forgiven if I'm going to love as I have been loved. The Apostle Paul kind of says it in a, a synchronized way in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 13. He says, love keeps no record of wrongs, that I don't keep a ledger of what someone did wrong to me. I'm erasing that. I'm handing it over to God. And that creates kind of the ability or the space for me to love as I have been loved, okay? So all those conversations, they're out there. They're on the website. They're on the app. They're on the podcast. All that stuff is free out there. And I encourage you, if you haven't listened through or thought through those things, to, to grab them. Because the, this teaching from God's Word really will start to change your mind, uh, it will really, it really does affect your relationships. It really does affect the way that you interact with the people around you. And so if you're, if you're in a relational cycle, if you're looking and saying, man, I, we're just up against this wall, we can't get past it, those kind of things, that person hurt me, I'm having trouble let it go, this will give you a different paradigm to think it through and maybe one that, that you haven't been able to get your head around yet. I think it'd be an investment, a good investment of your, of your time, Okay. 
So what I want to do this weekend is put in another layer of this. So if I'm looking, I'm saying, okay, the cross is my example. Jesus' mindset is my paradigm. Forgiveness is one of the things that I'm going to run into. There's no way that I can get through life without the need to forgive someone. I want to put another layer in. And another layer, this other layer is also something that's going to show up in every relationship that you're going to need to do what we're going to talk about this weekend in every relationship that you have on some level, maybe a a shallow level, maybe on a really deep level, but it's going to show up and it's going to be a part of it. And you're going to see here in the scripture that if I'm unwilling to do this, again, I can't actually love you. It's like a requirement or a definition of love, okay? So here's what I want to introduce to you. It's this idea that when it comes to loving someone, one of the elements that has to come in in my love for someone is the element of truth, the element of truth. That if I'm going to love you, I'm going to have to decide that I'm going to be truthful with you. If we're gonna have a loving relationship, we need to have a truthful relationship. Can't be a facade, can't, can't be uh, some kind of a fake thing. It's gonna have to be honest and truthful. And if I won't share or don't share truth with you, then I'm actually not loving you and helping you uh, do what you need to do and making our relationship what it needs to be, okay? So let me show you this. If, if you got your Bibles, grab them and turn to John chapter 17. I want to show you something Jesus was asking for all of us, and it'll kind of show you that truth has to be at the center point of all of this, and you'll see how this works a little bit. John chapter 17, and uh, let me just frame this up for you a little bit. What's happening in John chapter 17 is Jesus is praying. He's praying for his disciples, and then he's praying for all believers. So if you're a Christ follower, Jesus is actually praying for you here. And where he is, he's in the garden right before he's arrested and taken to his trial. So this is all kind of on the timeline of Easter. It's tied to the cross. And so Jesus is praying, and he's getting ready to go to the cross to show us the full extent of his love. And he prays something fascinating. I encourage you to read the whole passage, but for time, I'm going to jump in at verse 14, okay? So if you got your Bibles in your chairs, it's page 877 of those Bibles, verse 14, chapter 17 of John. Jesus praying to his Father, he says this, Father, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. Let that sink in for a second. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I'm of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Ready? Verse 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. For I am sanctified myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. So Jesus is praying for his followers and for us, and he says this, Father, I've given them the word, and they've received that word, they've received that truth, and they are hated because of it, because they believe in me. They believe that I am the Son of God, and they believe that I am the sole source of salvation, and they believe that, that I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, that no one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6, Jesus' words. Because they believe that, they are hated for that. I'm not pulling them out of the world because they're sent to the world. So they're staying here to be salt and light. They're staying here to make disciples and baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're staying here to be the church. But I'm asking for protection because they're going to be hated by the world and they're going to be opposed by the evil one because they have received me as their truth. He says this, Father, I'm asking that you sanctify them, set them apart, make them pure, make them holy, make them different, cleanse them of sins. I'm asking that you sanctify them with truth. What is truth? Your word is truth. We would say the Bible. Your word is truth. So this is what Jesus is seeing. 
He's looking, he's saying, I, I know that anybody who decides to follow me, when they decide to follow me, they're going to take heat for that. It's not the popular decision. And I want you to sanctify them. I know that the more that they know your word, the more they know your heart, your mind, and the more they adopt that and integrate that into their life, the more they are sanctified by your truth, the more they're going to be hated. The more they're going to stand against the norm. And so Jesus is praying that we will be protected and, and encouraged and all the rest. You're going to have to read the whole prayer. But he's praying for us knowing that this process is going to happen. Okay? Now, this is what we have to know when we kind of get into this conversation. If you're a Christ follower, whether it's here in the Bible or today, you have to know there has never been a time <clears throat> in human history ever where being a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ causes you to fit into a culture and be celebrated in it. Never. There's nothing new about that. that, that it, you can look and say, I don't like the direction the country's going. If you feel that way, fine. God would look and say, what's weird about that? The world, our culture, has always moved against me Jesus said to his followers, don't be surprised when people hate you because of me. There's never been a time. It's not an American problem. It's, it's a human problem. There's never been a time, there's never been a place on planet Earth ever where the followers of Jesus, the church, has aligned with the culture. The church has never, ever agreed with the culture about power, about money, about sexual morality, never. And the only time that the church has ever lined up with the culture is when the church has moved away from the word of truth. So Jesus knows that. And he realizes that for the Christ follower, if, if you're gonna be a person of truth, that's gonna cause tension in your life, okay? Now, Jesus says, I want you to love as you have been loved. And here I am, a Christ follower. I want to love. And one of the ways that I've been loved is truth has been brought to me. But when I proclaim truth in the culture, the culture does not perceive that as love. They perceive that as hate. How do I figure that out? The Apostle Paul says this way. What, what am I supposed to do with that? If I'm trying to love you, but you feel like I hate you, what am I supposed to do with it? So the Apostle Paul presses more deeply into this. And if you, if you remember him, maybe you don't know him. The Apostle Paul was a guy who was completely opposed to Christ. His full-time job was to go around the country and kill Christians. Literally, that was his job. After Jesus rose again from the dead, Paul had an interaction with him. When he had that interaction, he started to believe that Jesus was the one true God, and he changed teams. And he became, instead of the greatest persecutor of the church, the, the greatest propagator of the church. So much of our New Testament was written by God through the Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul is defining love for us again here in 1 Corinthians 13. And he says this about what real love. He says this is it. Love, real love, does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. This word evil in the, in the Greek language also is translated iniquity. And iniquity, an iniquity is anything that is opposite of God's heart, action, direction, or motivation. So Paul's saying, love, if you love somebody, you don't delight in them moving away from God. You don't delight in that action. You don't delight in that motive. You don't, you, you don't buy into that at all. It doesn't delight in that. If somebody looks at you and says, if you love me, you would accept this sinful behavior, Paul would be like, no, you don't delight in that. If you love me, you would participate in, in an in a, in a action or motive or mindset that's opposite of the heart of God. Paul would say, that's not love. If you love me, you'll hate who I hate. We all hate her, everybody. Do you hate her too? If, you, if you're our friend, you'll join in. And Paul would be like, no, love doesn't do that. Love does not delight in evil. Instead, what it does is it rejoices in the truth. 
Now what's fascinating is the group of people that he writes this to is a church. So 1 Corinthians is a letter written to a church, church at Corinth, and he writes this letter to this group of people who have just become followers of Jesus Christ. But they were raised in what the Bible would call a pagan culture or a godless culture. So remember, this is the early church. There aren't churches on every street corner. There is no podcast. There's no Christian TV, positive. There is no Christian radio. None of that exists anywhere. And so they're learning these things for the very first time. These folks have become followers of Jesus, but many of their mindsets and worldviews and habits have been brought into the church with them. So claiming to be Christians, they are delighting in evil with the people that they know and they love. In fact, in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul addresses it. So like in, in chapter five, he writes, he says, hey, there's a guy that goes to your church who says that he's a follower of Jesus and he is sleeping with his father's wife. The Bible doesn't say it's his stepmom. I'm just kind of hope that it is, right? But it's like creepy either way. It's like he's sleeping with his father's wife. You guys know that and you're not addressing it. Later on in the book, he talks about communion and he says, you know, I've, I've taught you guys how sacred communion is, how important communion is, that it's something that Jesus directly tells us to do. And you've got people coming into communion and they're practicing gluttony at communion. They're treating communion like it's a Chinese buffet. And, and they're just pounding food at communion and it's mocking communion. And then a little bit later he says, there's even people getting drunk, like trashed at communion. And, and the, the symbol of the cup, the wine, is the blood of Jesus symbolically. This guy's like pounding. He's like, oh, some more, right? And he's walking away trash. And he says, you guys aren't addressing that. You are delighting in that iniquity. You know these things are wrong, and you know that they're anti-God's heart and mind, but you're not doing anything. And what's happening is this. These people are coming, but they've known each other, you know? They've known each other. I don't know, Bill, Bill's like dated his mom forever. I don't know, it's like a real, real, she went to prom with him. I mean, it's like, it's like it, it's, I'm so familiar with what Bill's doing and now I don't wanna, I mean, Bill, you know, he's like a tither. There aren't many of those, right? Sally, I, she always throws an elbow when it's time for the love feast, you know? She's like, give me a long talk. And, and she, and I don't wanna address it, I mean, if she, if she'll get offended, she may not come to communion anymore if I say something to her. And Steve, we all know how Steve is. You know, he brings some extra wine to communion with him. And he's, I mean, you gotta admit he's funny at communion. And they become familiar with people they know and love, so much so that they begin to delight in evil and they're not addressing it in the name of love. If I address Bill, if I address Sally, if I address Steve, they'll feel like I hate them and I don't. And I don't want them to feel that way because I'm supposed to love them. Now guys, if there was ever a parallel in our culture, it would be this. That in our culture, we were raised like this. We were raised to say, if you love me, you won't always tell me the truth. We don't necessarily believe that truth equals love. What we believe in our culture is that acceptance equals love. If you love me, you'll accept what I'm doing. You'll, you'll accept my decisions. You'll, you'll accept my lifestyle choices. You'll, you'll accept my sin. You're used to it anyways. And if you love me, you will delight in that. You'll even participate in that. Okay? Now, here's the thing. I'm as guilty of this as anybody. And I'm, I believe in my mind the same thing. It, you will accept and endorse me if you love me. And if you tell me the truth about myself, I'm probably going to get annoyed and upset with you. The reason we're like this is because we were raised this way. We were raised this way. So let me show you this. This is for all you moms, right? 
So we have a Twinkie and a carrot. They gave me two Twinkies for this illustration, but I didn't see the need to have both of them up here, <laughs> right? So, and I hadn't had breakfast. And so, right? So a Twinkie and a carrot. This is, this is how we're raised. This is how we're raised, right? When you're a little kid and you're a mom or your dad, your little kid will come to you and say, I want a snack, I want a snack, right? And you'll have a carrot and you'll have a Twinkie. And you'll look at your kid and say, there's vegetables in the crisper. You can eat, a ve- there's, there's carrots in there, you should eat a carrot. And your little kid will say, I want a Twinkie. Well, honey, a, a carrot's a better, it's a healthy choice, this is organic, this carrot's organic, there's still dirt on this carrot, right? It's super organic. And I, it, it's, it's better for you, but I want a Twinkie. Well, honey, you should have a carrot. Well, it's my birthday, give me a Twinkie. And this is what you'll say, well, it's his birthday. Give him the Twinkie. See? And that will set a pattern in our life. I know what's best for you, but you want this. And I want you to feel loved on your birthday here. Okay? Then what happens is we grow, we just grow in our Twinkie changes. Hey, can I take the car? Can I take the car? Where do you want to take it? I was going to drive to Utah. On the weekend? Honey, I, I, don't, I don't know that's a good decision. I don't know that's good. Why not? Why isn't it a good decision? Well, because it, it's a long drive. You haven't been driving that long. I, I've had my license for four days. I can drive. They gave me a license. I can drive. Well, honey, I don't know. Dad, don't, you, you don't trust me? You don't believe? Dad, dad, dad. Right? By the way, that's how it sounds. Letting you know, right? There's a tune out, right? Dad, come on. I don't, I don't, honey, I don't, why not? You don't trust, it's not that I don't trust you. Why can't I do it? You, don't, you hate me. I don't hate you. Honey, why was the big deal? Honey, the, the leading cause of death for North American teenagers is car accidents. Like, I'm worried. I'm scared. It's not, let's drive around. Here's a car. Let's drive around. To, I don't want to do what I want to do, right? And then we grow from there, right? Now, I'm in college. Honey, when you sign up at college, I want you to sign the paper that says that I also get your grades. What? I'm an, I'm an adult. I, I get my grade. Yeah, I want to see your grades. I, that's my privacy. <laughs> I have privacy. I have root. Well, I want to keep you accountable. I, I, I'm, I'm an adult. Treat me like an adult. Just pay my tuition for, <laughs> for me. And my cell phone and my insurance, too. Why are you at it? Don't, do not point at your children. That's not nice at all. But you're like, he, see, I want, here's my carrot. Here, give it. If you, I want it. See? And we're raised that way. If you love me, you would do this for me because I believe that acceptance is love. You have to accept what I want and what I'm doing and when I want it and how I want to do it and who I'm doing it with. And, and you, you, honey, I don't know if that's a good friend for you. Why do you hate my friends? See? Honey, I don't know if that's a, I don't know. Come on, mom, mom, mom. <laughs> right? That's <laughs> it's kind of the way that that works a little bit, right? <laughs> Sorry, I made myself laugh there. <laughs> little personal pain, okay? As I did it to my mom, not because of my kids, right? So, so we tend to think like that. Now, this is what happens. This is what happens. We tend to agree with this math, accepting equals love, until the consequences escalate. And when the consequences escalate, we almost, by nature, it's almost as if God's law is written on our hearts. When the consequences ex- escalate, we always go back to God's math. See? Kid throwing a fit about a Twinkie, just give him a Twinkie. If the consequences are higher, the kid's diabetic. Now suddenly, because the consequences are higher, I'm going to fall back into God's math. Well, honey, I want a Twinkie. Honey, it'll, it'll, 
shock you, it'll hurt you. Give me a, I want a Reese's cup, but you're allergic to peanuts, sweetheart. I can't, I want it, I can't. It would be hateful for me to accept you and accept what you want, accept your mindset. I have to have truth to love you. When you escalate the consequences, suddenly you fall back into God's math, his definition of love. You suddenly would look and say, if I delight in that evil with you, I am not loving you, I am hating you. Come on, man, go drinking with me. It's my birthday. Bro, no, I can't. Why not? Because it's, it's run away from you, man. We're not sophomores in college anymore. This is, we're, you're in your 40s. It's, it's ruining your life. Don't you love me? Actually, I'm, maybe I'm the only one that loves you enough to tell you the truth. See? Come on, you gotta support me, man. I, I just, I, she doesn't make me happy anymore. And I just fell out of love with her. And I'm just done. And when every other friend is handy, yeah, man, that's the way it is. You gotta find your own joy. You gotta be happy, because that's what life's about. And they're handing them the cards to their divorce lawyers, and you step back and say, I, I think, I don't think this is right. What? You're picking her side? I, she didn't cheat on you, man. I mean, I don't think this is, I think you're, I think you're hard-headed and hard-hearted and, and, and you really, you should be tucking your tail. I mean, she's willing to work it out. You're gonna hurt people. You're gonna hurt, oh, people get divorced all the time. The kids will be fine. Actually, you know what, they won't be. It never works that way. I can't believe you're abandoned me. Actually, I'm just love, I'm, Maybe I'm the only one that loves you, man. Did you see my new toy, bro? See my new car? Dude, you can barely make your house payment. What, you can't, you can't, I work hard, you can't celebrate with me? You've killed yourself in debt. You're never with your kids because you have to work at... Maybe I'm the only one that loves you. And in order for me to love you, I actually can't accept. I can't go along. I cannot delight in this with you. Because the consequences of what you're doing have escalated that it, it's, it's almost illogical that I would celebrate this together with you. Right? Now, this is what happens. This is what happens. For the Christ follower, for the Christ follower, we would look and say, if you're not a Christ follower, this is, this is a way to understand where we come from. For the Christ follower, we would look and say this. We look and say, wait a minute. We believe that when you ignore God's word and you stand against God's word and you rebel against God's word, you rebel against God's heart and mind, his truth, we believe your soul is at stake. We believe that the consequences of that are eternal and they're incredibly high. And we believe that in order to love someone, we cannot participate in any iniquity that's leading you further and further away from the heart and mind of God. And in the same process, the scripture says, hardening your heart and searing your conscience to the calling of God. So as a Christ follower, when I look at you and you're making decisions, and I know because I'm being sanctified by the truth, God's word has pulled these same tendencies and temptations and sins out of my own life. And I look at you now embracing them. I have to look and say, in order for me to love you, I cannot agree with you. I, I can't be there. Man, we love each other. Man, that, that's why we're living together, sleeping together. We love each other. Don't you get it? I, I get your thinking. I can't, I, it, I can't agree that it's okay. You don't support us? I, I love you, I, but I, if, in Ephesians 5, marriage is nothing like that. 
I mean, if he loves you so much to live with you five years, why doesn't he put a ring on it? I can't believe you judged him like that. Or maybe that's the truth. You got to support me in this, man. You got, you got to know that, that, that I, I have found my own truth and I've been enlightened and, and that's why Buddhism is for me. Can, can you just, I'm spiritual, you're spiritual. Can you just support me in it? I, I actually, I, I can't, man. I love you so much. And in order for me to love you, I have to tell you the truth that, that there is one God there is one path to salvation. I can't believe you hate on all these other religions. I'm not, I'm actually, I'm not trying to hate anything. I'm just, I love you. And you have to know that. I, 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 need, to, I need to find my own path and I gotta be happy. It's all about being happy. So I gotta have my best life now. It's all about indulging every pleasure of the flesh and the mind and the eyes, and that's how you live. You got to take life by the throat, and you got to like drain your life out of it. So whoever you love and whoever makes you happy and whatever you love and whatever makes you happy, that's what you got to give your life to. Are you with me, man? Can you support me in that? I, I can't, man. I can't. You know what? I wish I could. It'd make my life a lot easier, but I can't. What are you trying to say? I, I'm just, I just worry because I know that you can gain the whole world and lose your soul. And to me, it's not about your choices and your happiness and who you love. It's about, it's about your soul. The consequences are so high that for me to delight, for me to offer you the Twinkie would be the most hateful thing I could possibly do. When you look at the cross, Jesus shows up and tells me all kinds of truth about myself that I don't want to hear. Jesus showed up, told me I was dead in my trespasses and sins. Jesus showed up, said I was an enemy of God in my heart. Jesus showed up and said that my path of wisdom will lead me to destruction. Jesus showed up and said that sexual immorality is actually unloving to the person that you're being immoral with. Jesus showed up and said greed is as wicked as all other sins. Jesus showed up and said, you look lustfully at a woman in your heart, you committed adultery with her. Don't be self-righteous and you are. You think because you haven't done these things and these people have that you have a place in heaven and they don't. And I'm telling you, there's one name under heaven by which you must be saved and I am he, Jesus Christ. Jesus showed up and because he loved me, he told me all kinds of truth that I didn't wanna hear, that I wasn't looking for and that I didn't know. And it felt hateful at first. I'm minding my own business. Why are you dumping this on me? Because I love you. Your soul is at stake. Well, how do I know you love me and you're just not on an agenda? Because I willingly lay my life down. There's not an upside to me. There's not an upside for me. I don't really get anything out of this. I, I, I look to say what's best for you, not what's best for me. I look to say I don't have to be involved, but I'm going to be involved. I will willfully suspend my rights. I look and say, I, I don't want to hold your sins against you. I, I want to bear them for you. I love you, and in order for you to know that I love you, and you to know that you need my love, and you to even understand the depths of my love, I have to tell you the truth. I'm not gonna come and give you your best life now, because you can gain the world and lose your soul. I'm gonna tell you the hard truths because I love you, and that's going to isolate me. Even my closest friends are gonna bolt for a time. That's gonna cost me my life. It's gonna cost me the cross. 
I love you like this. I will tell you the truth and I want you to love each other like that. And you would think somebody who came just to give their life for you would be a hero. But here I hang. And by the way, my disciples, when you express love through truth, don't be surprised when people hate you because you told them my word. It's exactly what happened to me. Love does not delight in evil. What it does, Paul says, is it rejoices with truth. Now, I want you to catch this word. It rejoices. It rejoices with truth. It does not rebut with truth. It does not condemn with truth. It does not make its point with truth. It does not patronize with truth. It rejoices with truth. Paul would say, right, you, you're going to have to stand alone if you love somebody. You, you, you very well may be the only person in their life that will love them enough to tell them the truth of what's going on in their heart, their soul, and their decisions. And then when they engage truth, what do you do? Christ followers get a bad rap, and a big part of our bad rap we have coming. Let's just be honest about it. Because we rebut and we condemn and we patronize and we prove our point with truth. And we don't do nearly as well at rejoicing with truth. When, when someone awakens to truth and they turn to truth uh, 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 and they turn away from their wisdom to God's wisdom, we haven't traditionally done great at rejoicing with them. You know, I've been living with her for five years and I went to church and Jeff or somebody talked about an Ephesians 5 marriage and that's what I want. And so we decided to get married. You said to get married? Yeah, we decided to get married. Well, that's great. Five years later, well, I guess you decided to get married. Two kids later, so you decided to get married. Wow, how about that? You rejoice with the truth. You decide to get married. Oh, man. Let me tell you something about an Ephesians 5 marriage that Christ is the center of. It's incredible. When a man and a woman leave their father and mother, they become one flesh. But in an Ephesians 5 marriage, they don't just become one flesh. They become like one soul almost. It's deep. It's empowered. It's spiritual. It's something. Buddy, what you had, I know you guys love each other. What you're going to get is going to blow your mind. I'm so excited. Yeah, I've been, I've struggled for years and years. I, I, hey man, I've been 30 days sober. 30 days, <laughs> 30 days, 30 days out of 30 years ain't bad, champ. I guess, what, what, you get another DUI? You rejoice with truth. You try to do something for 30 days. You try to break an addiction, try to lose weight. You try to break an addiction for 30 days. 30 days. After 30 years of habits and addictions, 30 days? Can I help? Can I pray? Can I, what do you need from me, man? It's incredible. Look what God's doing in your life. 30 days. It's amazing. So you rejoice with truth. Dad, now that I'm a dad, I see your perspective because, you know, my kid's doing some of the things that I did, I told you to come back to bite you, boy. Boomerangs. <laughs> Finally getting yours. You rejoice with the truth, honey. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? And, and I love the way you're doing it. You're doing it better than I ever did it. See? Paul says we don't delight in evil. And then when truth comes to bear, we love truth enough to say it, we love truth enough to, to stand on it. And when the people that need truth embrace it, we rejoice with them. See, So excited about what you learn and what God is teaching you. Okay. When I was a kid, I, I, I never liked school. I was never big into school, especially in elementary, junior high, and high school. 
in the first three years of college. But other than that, and so I never was big in the school. And so I, my, my goal was a C minus D plus because if you got a C minus or D plus, you stayed eligible, right? And so that was kind of my academic career. So parents, you can call me Dr. Bogue if you want to, like ease up a little bit, you know, you'll, they'll survive without straight A's. And so C minus D plus is the way that I went. And I was a conniving little kid. And so I was always finding ways to do the bare minimum and getting by and coming up with my excuses and all those kind of things. And the part that I hated about school the most was spelling. Remember spelling tests? Oh, I hated spelling tests. I still can't spell. But so I, I just hated these spelling tests. And I, you had one every week, at least I did. And it was like every Wednesday. So every Tuesday night, you'd have to study for this dumb spelling test. And who needs to learn to spell anyways? It's not like we're going to live in a culture where you type and have to write everything. And so I was just like, this is, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it, right? i never forget this time. My mom, I, 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 whenever I did something dumb, I'd go to my mom. Because I'm a mama's boy. I was born on Mother's Day. My, my birthday was Friday. Thanks for the gifts. So my birthday was, was Friday, and so uh, it was always on or around Mother's Day. So for years when I was little, we would just celebrate my birthday on Mother's Day. I thought Mother's Day was my birthday for years until I was like 40. And so yeah, I was just a mama's boy, loved being a mama's boy, all those kind of things. And so when I had something that, that was like negative, I'd go to my mom because she was a little bit more compassionate than my dad was. So one time when I was in uh, early, uh, late elementary, I flunked a spelling test. I got an F on this spelling test. It was so bad, like the F was the only thing spelled right on the whole test, right? <laughs> and so my teacher uh, gave me the F and then she looked at me and she said, you have to have one of your parents sign this. She wanted them to know that I was doing so bad in spelling. And so I brought this home the whole day. You got that in the back of your mind, that little knot in your stomach, like I gotta do this. And so what I did was I went to my mom right at bedtime, hoping that she was like semi-conscious kind of a thing. And I was hoping she was like scribble on this and like let it go. And so I hand mom my, my F, my flunk spelling test, and she looks at it. And I don't know if it was all the red on the paper that woke her up or what it was, but she looked at it and, and she looked at me and she looked back at it and I'll never forget this. And she said to me, she goes, honey, why did you do so bad on this test? And I said, I looked at her, I said, mom, I said, I'm just dumb. I'm just dumb. And I, I don't, I'm just not good at school and I don't understand it. And, and I'm just, I'm just not very smart. I'm not smart like my sister, Sharon, she always got good grades. And I was like, I'm just, I'm just dumb. And I don't know if I have a, like a problem or disability or what it is, but I, I'm just terrible at school. And I'll never forget, she, she looked at the paper and she kind of closed her eyes and sighed a minute and she opened her eyes and she looked at me and she said, sweetheart, if you ever call yourself dumb again, I will light your rear end up. <laughs> right? And she said, you are never to call yourself dumb. She goes, did you know you're gonna have this test? I said, yeah, I was shocked a little bit here. I was like, yes. She goes, last night, like, cause it was every week, same day. She goes, I asked you last night, cause I knew you had a test today. She goes, I asked you if you studied your spelling words, what did you say to me? And I said, yes, so you lied. Uh, well, I don't, I, I don't know, Phyllis, I don't know if we call it a lie, but <laughs> so you lied, right? And then I asked you if you were ready for your spelling test and you said yes. Right, and then because you said yes, she said, can I go play wiffle ball with my friends? And I said yes, so you're out for hours playing wiffle ball with your friends after you lied to me about the spelling test and now you're standing in front of me telling me that the problem is that you're dumb? You're not dumb, you lied and you were lazy and you didn't prepare. Don't you ever call yourself dumb again don't you ever tell me you can't do something. Can't was a curse word in our house. Don't tell me that you can't do something and you're gonna retake this test and I expect you to get that grade up this year. Do you understand me, young man? Right. I'm so grateful my mother loved me enough to tell me the truth. I'm so grateful that when I asked for a Twinkie, she handed me a carrot. I'm so grateful that she pushed into my lie, or I probably would have gone through my whole life believing I was dumb. 
I'm so grateful that in the moment when the easier thing, the more compassionate thing, the thing that I expected from her, because if you love me, you'll accept my excuse. She loved me by giving me truth. Mom died on us unexpectedly, and when she died, I was right in the middle of my doctoral program. And uh, I finished it, right? And, and when I finished it, I took my diploma and my grade sheet, because I had a 4-0. So I took my diploma and my grade sheet, and I made copies of them. And I put them in a plastic tube, and I took them. She's buried down in Dayton, where I grew up. And I took them down there, and I buried that diploma with her. Right? And I, I look at that and I think, you know, Mom, this is ours. This is ours. She didn't help me do the work, but she helped me believe that I could do it. Okay. Because she loved me enough to tell me the truth, she probably, in that little parenting moment that she probably didn't remember. She faced me with truth and it changed the trajectory of how I embraced my life because she would not delight in that lie, see? You can't love people and live their lie with them. You can't love people and have a relationship that's built on a falsehood. You can't love people and be passive about the decisions that are destroying them emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Can't do it. And when you look at the cross, Jesus tells us all kinds of stuff about ourselves that we don't want to know. And praise God he does. Because if he hadn't, I wouldn't have even known to look for him. I would never understand his grace if I didn't understand my rebellion. I would never understand his mercy if I didn't comprehend my guilt. He loved me enough. Why well, do you know he's just on a judgmental, condemning God? Look at the cross. Tell me the upside for Jesus. Because he gave his life for me, as he told me the truth, while I was still a sinner, he demonstrated his love for me in this. He died on the cross. The band's gonna come out and give us a little room to think and kind of be still for a minute. Here's some questions to wrestle with. Here's one. Is there a truth that you're not accepting because you have decided that the person who's telling you the truth hates you instead of loves you? Husbands, maybe your wife isn't a nag. Maybe she's the only person who loves you enough to tell you the truth. Wives, Maybe your husband isn't just critical and picky. Maybe he is the only one who loves you enough to tell you the truth. See, kids, maybe your parents aren't trying to control you. Maybe it's just true that you don't know as much as you think you do, and they're trying to protect you. Parents, maybe your kids aren't ungrateful and selfish. Maybe they're just loving you enough to say out loud our relationship isn't what it should be. See how it works? Is there a truth? Maybe your boss isn't a jerk. Maybe you do need to grow professionally. Is there a truth that has been told to you that you don't want to accept? Here's another question. Is there a truth you need to tell? 
instead of waiting for them to figure it out, or we'll see how it plays, or, you know, maybe one day, I'm just going to pray for them, maybe one day. I'm not talking about becoming Captain Confrontation, but to love somebody enough to look them in the eye and say, hey, I, you got to see what I see. You got to know what I know. Is there a truth you need to receive? Is there a truth you need to tell? And then if you're a Christ follower, this is exclusively for you. Ready? If the greatest truth is Christ, and Christ told you what you didn't want to know about yourself, but it awakened you to your need for Christ, and you accepted Christ as the way and the truth and the life. Ready? Is there a possible scenario in which you would love someone and never introduce Christ? Is there any way to make that math work? That I love you, I know you, you're my friend, but I'm not gonna tell you the greatest truth that I've ever been told. If I'm a Christ follower and I believe the consequences are eternal, Is there one I need to receive? Is there a truth I need to give? And does the greatest truth actually define and direct and affect my relationships? All right. Jesus, help us with this. It's a lot, Lord. And and it is against the grain of, of the world we live in, and that's fine. So give us courage and faith. Give us a gentleness and respect, God, if we've... If we've made our point, we don't need to remake it 15 times. But God, help us not to delight. Help us to love people enough to be willing to stand apart. Help us to know how to disagree but not disconnect. Help us to know how to to not condone but not condemn. That all these balances that you do for us when you, when you bring grace and truth to our life, always both equally. So God, as we love others the way that you have loved us, help us to know those things. Press this deep into us now. Holy Spirit, weave it into the nuances of our heart. Help us to see it, do math mentally with our relationships. And God, as we're sanctified by the truth of your word, Let that produce in us a passion and a love for our neighbor.